On today's episode of Arsenal Gothenburg podcast, uh, episode 230, yes, quite a jubileum. We have a big guest with us. We have Elliot Jenke Gunner Smith from. That's my phone, actually. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, where were where? Whoa. Yeah, Elliot Jenke Gunner Smith from uh, Arsenal Vision podcast, a podcast that we often reference to in this podcast. So if you haven't sh- checked it out. Uh, you can pretty much turn this off and go to their podcast instead because it's much better. But if you want to listen and see uh, what Elliot has to s- say and myself, obviously, you can stay tuned because um, we are going to talk about transfers. Yes, that's my phone on silence. Great. Uh, and we're going to listen uh, answers to your question that you have sent to us on at ArsenalGBG on t- Twitter and on Arsenal Gothenburg Facebook group, which is Arsenal Göteborg, Swinglish, but there you go, uh, on Facebook, uh, where you send us your questions, and you can go there and check out how to become a member of Arsenal Gothenburg, or else you can go to arsenalgoteborg.se. There was a bit, bit of um, Swinglish with a Gothenburg accent, but there you go. Uh, check it out, become a member of Arsenal Gothenburg, um, Yes, transfers and as I said last episode that it was the last time that we played Cannon or Spurs for this season. That was a lie, because me and Elliot are going to play Cannon or Spurs. So uh, stay tuned. Here we go. Yes, welcome to Arsenal Gothenburg podcast, a podcast for Arsenal fans, by Arsenal fans, with Arsenal fans. My name is Philip Tolf, and I am delighted to have with me a guy that you should have blocked on Twitter already, but if you haven't, his name is Elliot Smith. You should block him on Yankee Gunner on Twitter. Hello, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I have to say I'm a bit nervous. Um um, but I, I think it's gonna be all right. Um, so, how was your day? Now it's eleven. Yeah, where uh, you are? Yeah, uh, it's late morning. My oldest daughter, six years old, just started kindergarten today. So, walked her to the uh, walked her to the school. Big day as a parent. Lots of tears shed. But I'm used to shedding tears because of the the situation with Arsenal right now. So I, I feel I've been properly prepared. Yeah, great, great, great. Yeah, it's a lot of tears, a lot of emotions. You know for Arsenal fans around the world this time of, I would say this time of year, but it's not been like this, this time of year in every year, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, not great. <laughs> it's not great, you could say that, but um, um, we're not going to focus too much on that, or maybe we, maybe we will, I don't know, because we have a lot of uh, questions that we are going to answer. Um, but before we do that, I know this is your third time on the podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it is. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, great. So yeah. Con- congratulations to the hat trick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a tricky time to be on any Arsenal-related podcast because, like, uh, especially if people are new to you and new to your opinions, there's not a lot of positive stuff to say at the moment, and so you can come across as like 
you know, being a really negative person, but ultimately you can only talk about what there is to talk about. So exactly, you only have what you, uh, you only have to work with what's there, so to speak. Um, mm. But we we try to lighten up. I think uh, have a few laughs about things. What can you do? You can either cry or laugh. I choose laugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, laugh. I like gallows humor, so I'm totally on board with that. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Uh, but since it's your third time on the podcast, you know that uh, every time you were on, you had the introduction question. So me and the listeners get to know you as an Arsenal perspective. We're not gonna do all the questions today because we don't have that much time. But I'm just gonna uh, give you one question, um, so we get to know you a bit from an Arsenal perspective. How, when, and why did you become an Arsenal supporter? Yeah, it would have been back in, I guess, 2000 when um, I was working in London, uh, not living there, living in New York City, but working in London periodically. So actually, I guess 99, 2000, 2001, I was traveling to London for work. I watched an Arsenal game in a pub and I was hooked. And at the time, obviously, there were a lot of players that I was able to watch uh, during the prior World Cup and European Championships. And so I recognized them. I was able to, you know, I had fun playing with Arsenal on the FIFA video game. It was hard to watch the games at the time. So I was looking for a way that I could stay connected when I wasn't in London. Um, obviously a great time to be an Arsenal supporter. Managed to sort of follow the progression through the Invincible season. And then the shame of it is that really the games only became readily available to watch sort of subsequent to the Emirates move and and that era. So I didn't get to watch the games as much as I would have liked during the period when it would have been a lot of fun to be watching. <clears throat> but having, you know, sort of chosen Arsenal, so to speak, having been hooked on Arsenal at a period where it was a really enjoyable time to be following the club, I then started uh, blogging about Arsenal subsequently, probably around 2005, 2006, and then podcasting and, and on and on. So I've been hooked since, since probably you'd say the year 2000. Um, but that's basically it. I mean, I never, you know, like, like so many people that are in America who are around my age in terms of falling in love with a, a premier league club and the premier league generally, you had to sort of seek it out. And for me, the, the act of having to sort of seek it out, pursue it, really work hard to stay a supporter. It makes it feel more earned in a way, you know, I mean, there were teams in American sports that I liked, but it was always on TV. It was, there was always a game you could go to. It was easy. It was casual. But this was hard. It was work. I had yeah, to really yeah. work at it to stay connected. So that that for me really made the bond that much stronger. I think it's funny. I can re recognize the, with that because I, when I was growing up uh, home uh, with my mom and dad, we didn't have the right uh, channels, you know, on the TV to see Premier League. So I have to one like. Do you know what? <laughs> I don't know if you have this in the U in the US, but a text uh, TV. Like, like the internet, uh, like but on the text or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. We, we didn't have that. Nope. No. No. <laughs> uh, so I followed the, some games, you know, due via that. So I sat for two hours in front of, you know, text TV and like just stared at it. My brother liked to tease me so much because I just sat there two hours. Uh, he was like, Philip, do you want to go outside play football? No, no, no. I'm gonna stare at this text and see if it moves for two hours. Mm. And you know, I had friends record games and come to with me to me with a v VHS. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I, I yep, can recognize yep. that. Like you had to like fight, fight to see the games. So I I can recognize that you had the feeling that you earned to be a supporter and to you know watch the games. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like English uh, fans could sort of commiserate in a way right because like there was and still is the 3 p.m blackout but like yeah. growing up i know a lot of fans my age from england like 
there was no way to watch the games unless you went to the ground. So you had to be a you know a season ticket holder, a match going fan to see your team. Otherwise, it was basically match of the day highlights, and that's it. So. I think a lot of us have been spoiled now with this era of every game on TV, every highlight on social media, every statistic available. You can now consume the game at a deeper level than any than ever before, but it's also very, very easy and transactional to be a supporter in a way that it wasn't at that time. Yeah, true, true, true. That, speaking of statistics, I don't know about you, but I am. Uh, there's too much statistic now, man. I can't keep up. It's like for every yeah. game there is a new statistic. I'm, I'll be like, what? what is this now? Um, but maybe that's just me growing old. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, all right. I, I, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, th I think with statistics, it's, it's really just the case that like they're there if you want to engage with them. I think there's this tendency to believe that you have to engage with them to understand the game. And that's simply not the case. Um, I think they are there to help provide context to what you see with your eyes. They're also there to help in cases where you can't watch everything, right? So I watch every Arsenal game. I rewatch every Arsenal game. But what if I want to understand a little bit more of what's happening at Brighton and I only see a few of their games and I want to sort of contextualize what's going on with them or a player there? The data can really help you get a snapshot, a bit of a feeling or understanding about what's going on with a team or a player that you may not be able to get unless you are really studying them and watching them relentlessly. And so I, you know, I find it helpful. Obviously I, I think it sharpens my understanding of the game, but I, it's not, it's not a requirement to use it. You know, it's true, there if you like true, it. True, true, true. Uh, yeah. All right. So there you go. That, that was you Arsenal fan in the 2000 and, uh, London start to follow Arsenal from, uh, London and then fight, fought your way to see the games on TV. Um, yeah. Great. Moving on, Elliot. We mm -hmm. are moving in rapid speed. Um, in this podcast, we haven't had an uh, opportunity to record since the transfer window closed. So, which gave me the pleasure to, you know, sum it all up with you. Um, the transfer window. Thoughts? <laughs> mm. What do you think? Like, in all? In all? <clears throat> yeah, I... So... I'm I'm torn a little bit. So firstly, I want to say that I think the club did a good job of resetting the approach to a longer-term strategy built on younger players that can grow together into their prime age as a unit. I mean, if you look at the strength of the squad, it's Smith-Rowe, it's Saka, it's Martinelli, it's Tierney. Um, you know, I'm saying before the transfer window, yeah, right? Yeah, before yeah, we yeah. made any of these signings. Um you know, maybe at some point it'll be Aziz and Charlie Patino or whatever, but it's way too early to say on the, on that front. And so you say, all right, what can we do to build a squad that grows with them as they grow? And so by adding White and Odegaard and Sambi Lakanga and Tomiyasu, you add players that will be aging into their prime roughly at the same rate that Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and Tier well, Tierney's sort of in there, you know, just a year yeah. ahead or so. But they'll all sort of be moving into that range together. And so that can be really, I think, an, an incredibly effective strategy if you have a good distribution of age ranges around that to sort of provide the load-bearing pillars of, of the squad, if you will, those prime age players. I think in Thomas Party, you sort of have that. Yeah. Um, although he may be aging out of his prime relatively quickly. But other than that, you look at it, it's Shaka, who you know I have to admit, I'm not personally a, a big fan of, and he'll be 29 this 
So that's really it. Aubameyang out of his prime, Lacazette out of his prime. I guess Pepe is in there if you want to consider him sort of a the rock of the team. I think that's maybe overstating it, certainly. Mm-hmm. Gabri- Gabriel's young. Ramsdale is young. So, like, who are those prime-age players who are going to be really the tentpole players in the squad that allow these young players to develop without feeling like they're carrying the load? We are now, ironically, we went from being sort of very old with some young to being very, very young. With some old. Well, and, and some that are yeah old and, and need to be moved on very quickly. And yeah, so my, yeah, yeah. my question would be, did we add or do we have that proven elite level talent? A couple of players that you'd say, those are elite players. I think we have a lot of players who we think could get there. But do we have any players that are there now? We have some that were, that aged out, like Aubameyang, I think certainly fits into that category. Yeah. We have some we think will get there, like Saka and Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. But you know, when you think of like the signing of Alexis, for example, mm-hmm. and the transformational power of that signing. Yeah. Like that that was a player who came in, was elite immediately, was a 20-goal, 10-assist type guy, and transformed the team in a lot of ways. And that's where I think the club spent a lot of money, addressed a lot of positions. But when you buy young players, and I'll finish with this, the thing about buying young players, unless they're, you know, like Holland, Mbappe, you know, that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You're you're creating a wider range of outcomes, right? So you buy Thomas Party at 27 years old, you know what you're getting. He's not going to be much better than what you think. He's probably not going to be much worse. You have a narrow range of outcomes. You can feel pretty good about what you're buying. Alexis was the same kind of thing. When you buy Tomiyasu, Ben White, Sambi Lakanga, they have big upside. They could grow into being very effective players, but they can also underperform your expectations dramatically because they're at a stage in their career where it's not yet clear what they are. They're not clearly an elite player yet. And so we have a lot of players now where if they hit their upside option, their their upside capabilities, the squad will look very, very good. But the range of outcomes is very wide, and I don't know that we have the prime age players who narrow that and help us more reliably predict the trajectory of the club. So I like the reset of the plan. I like getting younger. I think we needed to replace Shaka with a more sort of, I would say, a, a better. more complete and well-rounded, effective central midfielder. But, you know, and I, I think striker becomes an issue. But look, based on what we've been doing in the past compared to now, yeah, this is a big improvement. Uh, I, I agree, I agree. And speaking of it, like, uh, you, I know that you saw the interview with uh, Edu, and he said, this is the process, this is the way uh, we're choosing to be, all young and uh, stuff like that. Uh, We actually had a question on this, uh, which I tend to save till later, but I might as well do it now. It's from um, a friend of mine called James... uh, No, not James. He's called Nicholas James, not to be, Mm. uh, you know... uh, Confused with Gunnar Exactly, (laughs) confused with Gunnar Blog. but his question was, and I find this, uh, I haven't thought about it earlier, but his question was, is this the first time that you can see a clear strategy in an Arsenal transfer window, um, like in, I don't know, 10, 15 years? L- you mentioned Alexis before. He was a f- na- force of nature, right? He was like, he transformed the team. But did he fit the system Arsenal played at the time? Uh, he couldn't defend, so he left Nacho Monreal wide open uh, time after time. We... Uh, g- another example was when we bought Mesut Özil, great player, uh, no complaints there. But on his position at the time, we had Jack Wilshere, we had Thomas Rysiski, we had uh, Aaron Ramsey, we had Santi Cazorla playing there. So t- 
if you look at it, Mesodels didn't quite fit the system, um, but you know, it was once in a lifetime, uh, so I had to do it. Abamyang, great player, great player, but if you think about it, six, six months earlier, we bought Lacazette for one trillion, and then we bought Abamyang for four mm. trillion, so that's not yeah. any mm. test tactics, it's just like go with the flow. But it, is this the first time I, uh, I can remember that Arsenal has sit down and said, this is the tactic, we're gonna do this first, step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this, and we're gonna follow through. Yeah, I mean, well, let, let, let me ask you a question. Mm. Do, do you I love questions. Think, yeah, okay, sorry, sorry no, fire away. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, go, go with your question. Yeah? Okay, well, I was just gonna say, I mean, do you, do you, so I, I in the, in the circles that I travel in on social media and the people I talk to, I think mm. people are mostly very on board with and excited about the fact that we've gotten younger and we're planning for the future. But like, do you feel that way? Or do you think that this is an excuse and a club of our stature should just be buying sort of ready-made players and that this project youth thing is, is sort of beneath who we are as a club? I think it is the right way. I know if you look at it, we already done, the, done this. We bought ready players, so to speak, when we bought uh, Aubameyang, Socrates, Leno, uh, mm -hmm. Lichsteiner, uh, you know, the list is long, and that didn't work. So I've, I think, like, the Arsenal, not bored, but you know what I mean, sat down and said, well, we need to regroup, rethink, because the path we did didn't work. We have to think one step in another direction. So I, th I, I like this. I like this plan. And I don't think it's beneath us. I think there's a problem with some Arsenal fans. Like they're, they're too posh. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. only Mbappe and Haaland is good enough. Because we are the fucking Arsenal. Like we were the fucking Arsenal. But now we're Arsenal fin finishing eighth uh, two years in yeah. a row. And you know couldn't score in a brothel if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I like the strategy like you have to like you said on your podcast Arsenal Vision podcast I know Clive has said it for years now like reboot start o over blow it up and start over it's a uh, right thing to do and I it, if I had to be honest with you it's taken too long for, uh, for me yeah well I mean uh, I would say uh, like when you are one of the biggest spenders in Europe in a window, mm. there's going to be a, a sort of expectation that when you look at what you've gotten, that you see, you know, one of those glittering names on the marquee that packs a stadium, right? And that's not the approach we took. But we had a lot of holes to plug, and we did. And I think someone like a Martin Odegaard could wind up being that kind of glittering name to some extent. I, I wonder a little bit about, you know, whether his profile is the profile of a player that still has the kind of Im influence in the game that it did years ago, you know, like Mesodoso, we yeah. saw that that style of number 10 become a little bit less in vogue in recent seasons. But look, the, there's pieces to a project. I think the one thing people have to appreciate is that the squad was in such bad shape in terms of its age construction and its talent level. There was no way to fix it in one window. There and just wasn't. Yeah, and it's been in bad shape for years and years now. So mm, I think yeah. it was good that someone just stepped their foot down and said, this is enough. Enough with this. Yeah. We're, starting, we're starting over. I, I like it. Yeah, but like the the problem, right? And this is what's happened. I think the news cycle's gotten shorter and shorter. Fan patience has gotten shorter and shorter. You know, we we don't want to be good in three months. We want to be good today, immediately. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you look what like Arsene Wenger tried to do with Project Youth and you could say it was bad or it was good or whatever you want. But over a period of several years, he developed some extraordinary young talent and we played some good football and we achieved some things like I wouldn't say we achieved the things we wanted to, but we stayed in the Champions League. We progressed in the Champions League. We had some some good times during that period. We had some downtimes. Trying to sell that kind of project in the modern media environment, I think, is even harder. And we, I think the one challenge we have right now is I look at the squad. It is not ready to compete for top four as currently constructed. These players may grow into being top four, top two, top one level players, but they are not that now. And will Adu, will Arteta, will the club get the patience from the fans that's needed? They've set their course. This is a course for being better in a few seasons, not right away. I just wonder how much patience there will be for that kind of approach. And speaking about fans, uh, patience, there is zero. We both know that. And I'm one yep. of them. Like for every the three first game of the season, I was uh, not so glad, so to speak. Um, but there you go. Uh, speaking about short term and long term, you know, uh, I had a question about that. So are you ready for another question? We are mm-hmm. all just yeah. firing away. Uh, yeah, fire away. <laughs> it's from Nicolas Anelka, and not that Nicolas Anelka that you think of. Uh, it's from a guy on Twitter at Nico Anelkas. Uh, he mm-hmm. actually has Lacazette on his uh, profile picture, so I don't think that is the original Anelka, but um, uh, I don't know. All right. What does Elliot like to see in short-term, mid-term and long-term to be satisfied? Since Arsenal like to talk about process, what kind of process would Elliot like to see in terms of short-term this season, mid-term next two seasons and long-term in five years? It's funny because like this is exactly how the club should be thinking about it, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it feels like for too long we weren't thinking about that. We're like, who can we sign right now and make us better right now and just sneak into the top four somehow? Maybe if we sign Willian, we'll sneak back into the top four, right? Like that that was the approach. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. And now when Arsenal think this, like fans are, oh, you should have talked about this years ago. You're fucking suck. I do. Out. Uh, uh, but sorry, I interrupt you. Go on. No, no, no. Well, well, and I think this is the reason, right? So the problem is we wasted so many seasons trying to just put Band-Aids on and patch up the holes in the boat and just like sneak back, shortcut back, cheat our way back into top four that we let the squad rot from the inside out by doing that, by bringing in these players like Cedric and Willian and Pablo Marie and, you know, all of these sort of older, unnecessary pieces and components that just didn't add anything. And then we're stuck with them. And and now we're, we're changing that. So what do I expect near term? This season, I still think the goal has to be top six. I think the squad is good enough to be sixth best in the league. I think there's no excuse for not being there. I think I would combine that with the caveat that we should at a minimum be competing for top six. But the football needs to get better. We need to create more chances. We need to score more goals. That has to happen this season. Mm. A more effective attack and a very real argument for being in the top six back in the Europa League, fifth or sixth. It has to happen. Um, In two seasons, I think we absolutely need to be the fourth place team in England. Um, That has to be the goal. Higher would be better, but has to be top four. And in five seasons, we have to win the title. Now you say that's totally ridiculous, and we probably won't get there. But if you're building a project, five seasons is roughly the horizon that you should have at, at a maximum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I to t- be building I- towards competing for a title. Look, if you are Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, City, you, 
your goal is the title. There's no other goal. I mean, yes, you want to be top four. Yes, but those clubs have to try to deliver titles. We have not delivered one since 2004. It is 17 years. So what's the plan? Never do it again? 20 years? 30 years? Five years. We've got young players. They're very talented. They're growing into their prime. We built a core that we believe will grow into prime together and be effective. You add to that a couple of elite talents in the next window or two. You get back into the top four. You have Champions League football, which means you can attract another really star-level signing or so. And from there, you go on. Maybe you make one big sale like, like Liverpool did when they sold Coutinho to build the team they have now. You know, maybe you have to offload a player you wouldn't like to, but it brings in the resources to go get a couple other components. Mm -hmm. And you make an assault on the title. While realizing, look, the odds of Arsenal beating City to the title or beating Chelsea to the title or Manchester United to the title with the way they can spend, yeah, they're small. But they shouldn't be 1% like they are now or 0%. They should be 15% or 20% or 25%. We should go into a season where the betting odds aren't one in a hundred that we win a title, but one in two or one in three or one in four. And so my goal is be in Europe next season, be in the top four in two seasons, be competing for the title within five seasons. If that's not their goal, then they're doing it wrong. And I would question the Cronkies because I think the Cronkies would say, yep, we want to be in Europe within the next two seasons. But I don't know that they care about competing for a title. Do they want to be in the Champions League? I believe they do. Do I think they care if we wind up competing for a title? I'm not sure I, I think that. Hmm. I, I agree on everything you said. Uh, and I think it's scary if the club hasn't had this, you know, goals uh, looking forward before. But um, it feels like anyways that we had this now. Uh, you spoke about Edu earlier. We have a question about Edu. Um, it's from Oscar, which is co-host uh, on this podcast, but he couldn't be here today. Um <laughs> Will Edu get sacked before the next transfer window? If not, how long do you th guys think he survives? And also, next summer, summer window, or, uh, or I think next transfer window, so the January transfer yeah. window. Yep. Uh, and also, how would you rate the business he done so far? Mostly thinking about outgoing uh, transfers. We uh, mostly talked about incomings before, but um, first part of the question. Will Edu get sacked before next transfer window? I don't think so. Not by oh. January. I mean, that's pretty soon. And I think... I'm not sure that there's anyone at the club that's ready to evaluate his work in such a way that they would even be willing to do that. There are some things that still kind of worry me with Edu. Um, experience level. Whether he has the support, the infrastructure inside the club to support him learning on the job. Um, you know, whether he has the right talent identification. I think the fact that Kia was involved in the Odegaard transfer as an intermediary is deeply concerning. Mm. You know, he seems to find a way to make money off our business, yeah. even when it's not his player. There are questions to be asked. I think Adu will be evaluated over the course of this season, in large part based on how some of these moves, like Ben White, Tomiyasu, um, you know, I, I think Odegaard, if those players thrive, then I think he's going to have a longer leash. But if those players struggle or if Arsenal finish mid-table and they don't help elevate our stature, I think the Cronkies are going to look at this and say, we spent as much as basically any other club. We were told we were getting sort of ready-made talent combined with a future ceiling, but they don't, they're not delivering what we were told they would deliver. And then I think he'd be in deep trouble. I do think that like, if Arteta goes, I tend to think Edu might go too yeah. because I, I think it'd be an opportunity for a fresh start. But Unlike with coaching, where there's just lots of coaches, you can always find a coach. You can always take it, you know, roll the dice on a coach. 
with director of football, I think you need to make sure you appoint the right guy because a director of football can impact your future for years. I mean, look at Adu. He set out our stall this summer to plan for the future. And now, even if you sack Adu tomorrow, he's had his influence over the club for the next five seasons. If he got sacked tomorrow, Adu's influence would be felt four or five seasons from now. If Arteta got sacked tomorrow, you could basically just change this, the tech, uh, tactical approach to the game and we'd look like a new team tomorrow. Would we be better or worse? I don't know, but we'd be different. So when you hire a director of football and you give them the authority that they need, you are committing to a strategy that affects you over multiple seasons in a way that you know maybe hiring a coach doesn't. So I, I think he lasts through January, certainly. I think by next summer, it'll be very clear whether he's earned himself more time. But I'm I'm an Edu skeptic, but I'm certainly open to to that turning around. Yeah, it will be uh, exciting to see how it goes with, you know, because like you said, it's pretty much Edu's squad right now. Uh, all f six uh, new uh, players and, uh, you know, the direction of the club. So um, it's on Edu as well if it not goes the way that we hope, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just, I was just thinking out loud. That's the way I do it sometimes. I just think things out loud, and then, hmm, did I just say that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how would you rate the business outgoings then? Uh, it was well, yeah. Um, Joe Willock, pretty much. Gwen Ducey, uh <laughs> Yeah. One thousand yeah. loan players, uh, and that's it. Some contract cancellations yeah. like Lillian, right? I mean, what, what I would say with the outgoings is we failed miserably with the caveat that the market does seem to have been exceedingly difficult. Mavropanos got sold for a, a tiny fee. Mm. Ganduzi went for a fee that I think is far below what his talent demands in a weird circumstance. Lillian's contract was canceled. Joe Willick's sale, I think we absolutely took Newcastle for a ride on that. Like that, that to me feels like an exceptional bit of business. I think we needed to clear more players out. But the goal isn't, like, here's the funny thing. People complain about outgoings. The outgoings don't matter. Like, you know why outgoings matter? If they make room in the squad and bring money in to bring in new incomings. And we did a lot of buying. So I'm not convinced that had we moved anybody else out, we would have brought anybody else in. But so that was I don't the, particularly care. That was the <laughs> case, you know, with Willock, right? Willock had to go to make room for Erdegaard, right? Yeah, well, and there's also the, the squad size issue, right? Willick doesn't true. count in that respect because he's homegrown. But, um, you know, I, I think like William going made room for Tomiyasu, for example. But yeah, the big, the biggest one for me, look, does it matter that Nketiah didn't go, that Nelson didn't go, that Kolasinac hasn't gone, that Elneny hasn't gone? I mean, yeah, I'd like all those players gone, but they bring in a paltry amount of money and you're not going to go buy a star with that. I think the biggest miss outgoing is, I think it was time to move on from Shaka. I would have taken whatever Roma were offering, even if it was less than we felt it was worth. If it's 12 million, it's 12 million. You move on and you upgrade at that position. But instead, we've recommitted to him at that position. And I think that that becomes sort of a a ceiling lowerer. Like Shaka raises your floor to some extent in the sense that like, he's not terrible. He'll never be terrible. Some people act like he's terrible. He's not terrible. But I think he has a clear cap on our ceiling. And midfield is so important. And we put a lot of money in Thomas Party. And I think he needed a, a partner that could raise the ceiling. And I, I don't I don't think we've elevated that position the way we could have. If you're Swedish and listen to this, you should listen to our um, previous episode. Because um, we are like 
ranting Shaka for about one hour how idiotic it was to extend his contract. Uh, so Elliot, if you take Swedish lessons, go back and listen to it and you'll get my opinion. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> um, we have one more question before I move on because I really like to uh, end the podcast on a more positive note. Not li- yeah. not that we are, you know, fumious right now, but um, no. Uh, I would just, you know, all these questions, right? They are like everywhere. Mm. Where where did it go? You know, uh, <laughs> there you have it. It's from uh, Jesper Lovstad at El Padres on uh, Twitter. How do you um, think the Premier League fans will accept Ronaldo? And how do you hope that Arsenal supporters act when Manchester United comes to the Emirates? Well, I mean, look, there's the footballing side of that, and then there's the off the pitch side of that, and you know, without getting too far into murky territory, like there is some very, very ugly testimony that was released by Der Spiegel on Ronaldo when he was deposed in the sexual assault case that he mm-hmm. was he was being investigated for. And there is one standard that exists in a court of law for convicting someone of a crime. There is another standard for each individual to decide whether they feel someone did something reprehensible. You know, I used to be an attorney, so I tend to be very tied to that court of law standard, which in America is beyond the shadow of, uh, beyond shadow of reasonable doubt. Um, but I have to admit that in his own words, in his own deposition, in his own testimony, it's very fairly compelling argument that he assaulted someone, that he did something reprehensible. And every individual can decide for themselves what they make of that testimony. But to me, it, it looks pretty terrible. And I... I just don't see how you can elide that and and act like it didn't happen. I realize that it sucks when your football, which is supposed to just be entertainment in a pastime, intersects with you know issues that are deeper than that, more important than that, more societally relevant than that, but that's the reality. So for me, that will always be a stain on him as a, as a person and something that I can't look past. Now whether that should you know bleed into chants and songs and things that are said at the ground well in a way i almost feel like that trivializes it right i mean singing songs about sexual assault at a football ground towards a player i i think that's unseemly not because he doesn't deserve it but because i'm not sure how that necessarily brings us any closer to justice and i I sort of think it almost makes it more of a tribal sporting issue then rather than a, a, a real social issue so these are all really complex issues to to disentangle and I'm not sure where I fall in it. What I will say is I think from a purely sporting standpoint, you know, Arsenal fans are going to hate him because we did when he was at United before and we're going to again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no doubts and, and about so, that. And, and Yeah, and I think we should yeah. and I think that'll be fun. I, I unfortunately, and I, like I said, I can't decide what the standard is for anybody else. I can't think about Cristiano Ronaldo without at least having that that feeling about him and that issue in my mind and you know everybody's mileage will vary in terms of whether it is the only thing that's relevant about him to to someone whether they can can totally compartmentalize it whether they don't find the testimony compelling at all i can't tell other people what to think about that i can only tell you what i think which is i hate him as a player because he's a united player and i just like him Yeah, yeah and i i have deep deep um i would i would say anger and and sadness about what I think he's connected with and what I think may have may have happened there. So 
I, I don't want to go too far down that road, but that, like I said, I can only speak for me. Yep. I'm an yep. individual. I can only process the information that's available to me. That's how I feel about it. Well, um, I personally hate his guts, always has been or will always do. And uh, I have predict that he will be a flop in United this uh, season. So, hope so I hope that, yeah, I hope uh, I hope that I am right for once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you are too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem with United is they just, they have a lot of talent. And at some point, even if you don't rate Solskjaer, that talent is going to win out and, and they're going to be good. Um, but if bringing in Ronaldo has been a huge waste of money and waste of time for them and he can't hit the heights for United then that will be wonderful because I think they could have certainly brought in any number of very high-profile stars up front, and they chose this one, who's what, whatever he is, 36, 37 yeah. years old. So, yeah, I mean, if he flops, that would be great because otherwise United look like they're starting to get pretty... Uh, pretty scary, pretty right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, we leave it there. We hope uh, Ronaldo will be a flop. Um, before I let you go, like I said, I will end in... Um, in a lightened mood like we're gonna play a game basically um have you played the game canon or spurs <laughs> no <laughs> no uh it's it's a game that we have played recently in the podcast it's my favorite game uh guess who made up the rules uh who i you? did i did yeah <laughs> okay i did uh it's a game yeah. about squad numbers and uh new signings uh we have done this all the summer long as uh uh, as soon as Arsenal made a signing, we played this game. Now we're going to play this game with uh, number 18, since we assigned uh, Tomiyasu, uh, which got, uh, he got number 18. And uh, here's, the, here's, here's the game. Here's the game. So, we're going to follow number 18 from when the Premier League f uh, started. All players in Arsenal who won number 18, and we're going to grade them. D were they good in Arsenal, we give them Cannon. Were they bad in Arsenal, we give them uh, Spurs, right? Okay. Uh, for example, <laughs> last time we did this, uh, we did it with uh, number 32 because of Aaron Ramsdale. Um, uh, we, we gave Emil Smith-Rowe a cannon, uh, obviously. Yes. Uh, and we gave uh, Fran Merida uh, Spurs, since he like okay. only played yeah. four games. Um, Didn't really work out, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you understand rules? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we fire away and see how it goes. All right, the first player ever to win war number 18 in the Premier League was David Hillier. Would you give him Cannon or Spurs? I have no idea. <laughs> All right, I, I give you a, a little help. He was in the cup winning team of 94, uh, Cup Winners Cup. Um, well, then he gets a cannon for me. Yeah, a cannon for me as well. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I know, I, you know, look, with some of these players, I know what I've been told. I know what I've read. I didn't see him play. So I obviously I can give him a cannon because I think that's what people will expect me to say. But I'll only be saying it because of the expectation, not because I, I know, you know. And here's the thing. Like, I'm 32. I I wasn't even, all right, I was born when David Hillier played, but I haven't seen him uh, a second in my life so right yeah so it's you're just fair. going off reports yeah right. yeah yeah uh <laughs> next player steve morrow same thing there uh i haven't seen him played but he won the cup winners cup in 94 as yep. well yep he can get a cannon uh, great uh next player i've actually seen uh play for the arsenal uh giles grimandi cannon or spurs i mean did grimandi do his better work after his playing career <laughs> it's fair to say uh yeah it's um, fair to say yeah, I I don't know. Spurs. <laughs> Spurs? I, I got, funny thing, he won the Premier League twice with Arsenal. He won the FA Cup twice. But I'm going to give him Spurs anyway. 
Uh, yeah, it's a double double. He was winner. never a major. No, yeah, he, he was wasn't. never a major player for us. I mean, look, say, sending him to Spurs. Like this is the problem with this with this game, right? Do There's no problem with this Grimaldi game, Elliot. This game is perfect. What did you say? <laughs> no, just kidding. No, sorry. Because do I want to send him to Spurs? No. Do I think that he is like an Arsenal legend type quality player? No. So like, can I just like let him be a backup cannon? You know, no, no. You know There's no mean? gray area. Either Spurs or cannon. I'm gonna. I'm really hard with this with the rules. But you give him Spurs, gonna, and that's fine. I'm gonna give him Spurs. So if you want to give him Spurs with me, um, it's fine. Yeah, all right. All right. I, I feel terrible doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Next player, uh, he's bald, he's shit, he plays when no one else is fit. Pascal Sigan, Cannon or Spurs? I love Sigan. Yeah, he's Spurs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Spurs for me as well. Uh, even though he wasn't invincible, but uh, like Deshaun says, he's bald, he's shit, he plays when no one else is fit. Uh, he's a Spurs yeah. for me. Uh, next player, Mikel Silvestre has uh, yeah. had number 18. What's worse than Spurs? Uh, you could give him a Mega Spurs if you wanna. Yeah, Mega Spurs. Yeah, Mega Spurs for me as well. Uh, off to rough start, I think, and it's not gonna get better with the next player, uh, Sebastian Scolacci, Cannon or Spurs? Yeah, I was waiting for this one. Mega yeah. Spurs. Yeah. Mega Spurs. Mega Spurs. Um, number eighteen, not so good numbers in Arsenal uh, perspective, but um, next player, next player, Nacho Montreal, Cannon or Spurs? No, he gets a cannon for me. I, I really enjoyed Nacho's time at the club. I mean, I, look, the thing that's hard is, you know, you're giving you're giving Grimaldi, you're not giving Grimaldi a cannon when he, you know, won all that stuff with the club, but like and Nacho, you know, didn't have as much success, but he was at a period where the club wasn't as successful, but I thought he was a really good servant. So I'm giving him cannon. I give him cannon as well. And I know that it's not okay to say this, but I personally think that much Nacho Monreal so far uh, was a better left back than uh, I would say Tierney. I, th I, th I think Nacho Monreal is really underrated as an Arsenal player. He was fantastic and you know um, high level all the time uh, on his position. Like for like what five years or so, he he mm -hmm. was always there. Never a mistake uh, that I can remember. Anyway, so uh, I give him a cannon. Uh, clearly underrated for me. Agreed. Uh, yep, absolutely. And, and you know, he, he was one of those guys that, like, if you needed to move him to center back, he'd do it. Yeah, he'd do it well. You know. Um, next player, and the, the, maybe it's going to be a discussion here, but we'll see. Thomas Partey had number eighteen last season. Would you give him a cannon or Spurs? It's way too early to say. I mean, he hasn't played. You know, it's like I can't give someone a cannon for seven good games. You know. <laughs> but I'm not going to give him the Spurs for that. I mean, if I had to do one or the other, I'd give him a cannon on the basis that I hope he's good, mm. but I don't know that he's... I mean, I think he is, of course, but, like, literally, the guy's played probably seven good games for Arsenal ever and, you know, had a stop-start injury-plagued season for us. So, uh, to me, that's, that's a... remains to be seen. <laughs> uh, so, would you say cannon or Spurs? I didn't quite get that. Uh... I'll give him a cannon. Him he a cannon. hasn't earned it. He yeah. hasn't earned it. And that's you know, the I'll thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Because I personally, is, uh, I have to say it, but I'm going to give him Spurs. because, And I'll tell you why. Because uh, when Arsenal signed him, I had so high hopes for him. I like said, this is the new Patrick Vieira. This is the signing we're waiting for uh, for like 10, 10 to 15 years. Um and I, I loved him in Atletico. He's one of my favorite players all across Europe. And Arsenal bought him. 
I was like, this is this is it. This is it. Now we're gonna fight for you know top four. No doubt, he's gonna change the team. And then, like you said, he made like what six, seven games injured. He was meh. He was meh. So I was so disappointed uh, with him uh, at the end of last season. So hopefully he's better with number five, which he has now. Yeah. But number eighteen, Thomas Party. I I sorry, but I have to give him Spurs. Uh, I was yeah. so disappointed. Yeah, I mean, he so he made, I guess, 18 starts. He played 1,500 minutes, um, 24 appearances. But, like, you know, it was just a very, very stop-start season for him. And, I mean, that, you know, 18 starts in a 38-game season, like, I, I just, it's, for me, it's incomplete. I'm going to give him a cannon just purely mm -hmm. on the basis of hoping it works out. Yeah, yeah, I hope so as well because he's a clearly world-class player. I mean, he's just waiting to, you know, unleash that in uh, in an Arsenal shot for me. Um, next player uh, is the new signing Takahiro Tomayasu. What do you say, Elliot, about the signing? Would you give him a cannon or Spurs? What do you think? It's going to be a good signing, bad signing, and uh, what are your thoughts about the signings overall? Well, I'm not going to send our new signing to Spurs before ever that's seeing great. him play. Yeah, I that's mean, great. My, that's great. My opinion is, I think, I I think this one could be really dicey. I I think he is the kind of right back that Arteta wants to tuck in, to be inverted, to play in sort of a back three in the first stage of buildup. I think if we get a new coach who wants to play a slightly different way, he is not an overlapping fullback. Now, you don't have to have an overlapping fullback, but if that's what the next guy wants, like the thing that worries me is I could see him being a perfectly serviceable squad player who the next coach says to the next sporting director, right back is still in need. We need to go get a right back. And when you spend close to $20 million on a right back who's you know 22 years old, hmm. you don't want to have to go buy another one. I think this guy has a very specific set of skills, but maybe that's just because of how he was used at Bologna. Obviously, plays center back for um, Japan in part because you know their captain I think is a right back. Played right back two seasons ago for Bologna, but then played center back a lot last season. This is a mixed one for me. I want him to be great. I'll give him a cannon out of hope, kind of like Party. My instinct is that he will be a player we enjoy having at the club who who is able to contribute maybe more than some of the other, you know, more than like a Pablo Marie or maybe even more than like a Callum Chambers, but that we might wind up being back in the market for a right back again in the future. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I give him a, a cannon as well. Like, I, I don't want to give a new signing a, a Spurs, but um, he feels like, you know, a signing that Arteta and Edu... Is pretty, you know, you know, handpicked signing. Like this is the player we want for this and this uh, things on the pitch. So it would be exciting, it's exciting to see what he can do and how long uh, he. <laughs> I, I was about to say lives at the clubs, but you know what I mean. Uh, as long as he, ah, I don't know. I start to waffle now. Um, mm. Elliot, before I let you go, there is a game on Saturday. Is it a Saturday? Whoa, a yeah. Saturday game. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time to get the champagne in the freezer. Um, We're going to be playing a lot of Saturdays. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, quick thoughts, Norwich at home. Uh, do you think we're going to score? Yes. Great, great. <laughs> there was a, a bit of silence there. I was, I was about to get nervous, but uh, yeah. Yes, we're going we're gonna to score. <laughs> uh, do you think we will win? Yeah, we're going to win. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, I think so as well. Um, it will be a tight win. I don't think we will be seeing another 5-6-0 win, but um, 
hey, I take it. If it's a 1-0, I take it. Um, Elliot, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for your time. I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's always a pleasure. I'm sorry that it's not under better circumstances, but let's uh, let's do it again real soon. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And uh, like I said in the beginning, if you want to hear more uh, from Elliot, you sh- hard to he- read more from you if they blocked you, but check him out on Twitter <laughs> at Yankee Gunner and listen to his podcast, Arsenal Vision Podcast, uh, which is one of the best out there. Oh, that's super kind. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Um, talk to you after Norwich the game uh, next Monday. Utebi Egunur.